Hello and welcome to Sun Grown. I'm your host, Alexandria Irons, Queen of the Sun, and I am here today with my debut guest and good friend, Frank, owner and breeder of Purple Caper. He is an OG in the California cannabis industry and has been breeding fire for decades. Good morning, Frank. How are you? I'm very good, Alex. Good morning, and it's an honor and a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you for having me. Oh, man. I'm just so excited to have you here. We go way back. I would say you are one of the most influential mentors I've had in my cannabis career. Um, Let's see. When did we meet? I would say 2017. And I think it was that that season. Yeah, I honestly don't even remember really like how we connected if it was I know we were both involved with the Dark Heart Nursery. Um, they, they had like this meet your farmer thing going on and they were interviewing me and I was growing Blackberry Fire, which is your strain that I got from Dark Heart. And I feel like that was kind of how we got connected. Um do you remember any other details that my stoner brain? It is, it is. There, I think you you sent me an email, and they um, they told me to tell you that you were in you were doing that with them or something, and um, then I responded to the email and I, I talked to you, and we went from there. I remember you were uh, you're crushing it over there with the blackberry fire and the uh, chocolate grape diesel. Oh yeah. And um, nobody even has that cut anymore. Dark Heart lost that cut. What? A both or yes. just the chocolate grape diesel or both? Just the chocolate grape okay. diesel. They have everything else in tissue culture, but they actually called me. I'm actually going there tomorrow to take them to chocolate tonic again because somehow in the uh, management changes, it got mixed up. Oh man, that's a bummer. That was amazing. And that was back in my indoor days of medical prop 215 that I was growing that. And it, I mean, that thing yielded. I was getting like at least two pounds of light with that. Um, I've grown a few of your strains. The Blackberry Fryer I've grown outdoors did amazing, um, as well as the Chocolate Pineapple Harley, which you, that, that's like a two to one, right? Can you tell me about that a little bit more? It is. That, that one I never um, released. I did it only one time, and that was um, – that one actually, it was all over the place. It was two to one, and, and sometimes it was one to two. And then um, it always tasted really good, but it, it didn't um, it didn't make it into the full lineup. So that was a one-time thing. I, for me, I think it was super kind, but it wasn't big enough. That one, I forget. I think I got a pineapple Harley from um, Santa Cruz or something, and I crossed it with the, uh, with the chocolate tonic. And, the, um, you know, the chocolate tonic, the year before I met you, I think I won a cup in Santa Cruz with that clone. Okay, the Emerald Cup or no, no, that was the Under the Sun Cup. They don't, they no longer have it. I think the last one was 2018. It was sad because it was a very, um, very home style cup, and it was a beautiful thing in Santa Cruz. And the rules were it had to be grown under the sun, and it had to be um, grown in Santa Cruz County. And so one of our gardens is out there. And so we would enter stuff from that um, garden. I think a chocolate hash berry one in 2015. And I think the chocolate tonic won CBD category in 2016. And and that's a tough one um, to win because there's only a few awards and there's a lot of cowboys in Santa Cruz. 
Oh yeah. I, and that's probably one of the saddest things in my perspective of the transition from Prop 215 medical to Prop 64 rec regulated license is the loss of a lot of this culture that, you know, you were influential part of, you know, shaping and just seeing all of these amazing farmers and growers, uh, family farms that have been around, you know, since the 60s, really struggling in today's new highly regulated market. Um, What advice or what do you, how are you going through the transition? I know you're involved in a lot of different projects. I don't know what you can or can't talk about, but um, I'd love to hear about how you, you know, handled that transition and what you're doing now during the Prop 64 era. Um, So it's, it's, it's really tough for all of us. Everything is more expensive to operating um, in metrics. And, um, and so we're just supporting the small farms. And so the, our advice is just we're growing stuff that nobody else has. Um, and that's kind of the way you have to set yourself apart out here. The legacy farms in Humble and Mendo and Santa Cruz that are doing that are the only ones. And now some of the distros are starting to um, support us also. And so they're they're not wanting to pick up the and, and the heavy hitters and brass knuckles and all that, which is a blessing for us because four times the capacity of the legacy farmers in Humboldt. So they can grow four times as much flowers as all of the hundreds of legacy farmers in Humboldt. So that's scary, right? So every time people are buying those jars, it, it's it's really um, taken away from the legacy farmer. So I would, I would say to just grow signature stuff. If, if you really can make your own strain and set yourself apart, that's how I did it. That's how most of the people out here are able to do it or get something from us. You know that some of the strains never died. So the one that I saw uh, do the best last year, it's kind of a nefarious story, but you know, everybody got what, what they paid for. So I think it's okay. Um, They ran the Blackberry fire and they, they, you know, it turns purple even under 80 degrees and they sold it as indoor to one of the new distros. And so um, I didn't see anybody else get as much money for outdoor flower as anybody. This is a very sheltered garden, you know, fences on all sides and all that. And it's a small garden, so they could really, really take care of it well. Um, and so they did the best, you know, and, you know, they got 1200 for a pound of outdoor flower. And I didn't see anybody else get that this year. And so, you know, I saw other people's getting 1000 and 800 but, you know, everybody, a lot of people are still down $300. And so I, I think... Um, to set yourself apart, you know, don't grow jealousy and ice cream cake. (laughs) Yes, I agree. Oh man. (laughs) (laughs) I made that mistake one year. I grew way too much ice cream cake, but you know, you live and you learn. (laughs) Right. Well, everybody did, you know, it's, it's a very good, good producing strain and, and it's fire. But when, when it's the same as everybody has, it's, it's just like, trying to sell sand on the beach. Oh yeah. I think that is excellent advice. Um, and you have a lot of unique strains that I don't see, you know, around, uh, the country a lot. Um, but in California, 
And I'm really happy like that you gave me and Growcast seeds to give away to people because I want more and more people to grow your genetics. I've had great success with them in the past. And I mean, even that CB, high CBD strain that you it didn't make your cut, I was still getting 1200 a pound for it that year. So wow. it, it did amazing for me. Um, it was fire. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, it was. So let's see. What would you say your most, I mean, Purple Caper is your most famous strain. No, you know, the, namesake, the right? sad thing about it is um, Purple Caper and Chocolate Tonic. That's the only thing I don't know if anybody's seen my, my calling card. It has no no contact info. And it's the only thing I've passed out for 10 years. On one side, it says Purple Caper treats uh, depression. On the other side, it says Chocolate Tonic treats cancer. And that's all I've ever passed out. That's all I've ever pushed. Um, those are two of my slowest moving strains. You know, it's it's like nobody wants to use this for medicine. It's not accepted medicinally yet, but I figure I'll shove the chocolates and the cookies down their throat until they understand that this is medicine. And what, and what a lot of people aren't realizing is that they, they are self-medicating. You know, half of the people you grew up poor, you grew up in a lot of turmoil, and you, you have underlying depression, you don't know it. And all of a sudden you smoke these flowers and you feel a little better. And, um, you know, it, it helps a lot more people than they're willing to admit it. And so I think that um, a lot of people are using it for that, especially in, in the state, state and time, day of age that we're in. Um, and so I just keep putting it out there, hopefully it'll be accepted. But no, it's not my most famous by a long shot. I've got several more. Okay. More famous. Well, I know what what is the lineage? It's like a granddaddy, sour diesel. What is your purple caper? White widow and, and Las Vegas indica, and and then um, what I selected for the outlier. So when of uh, the original selection, we were breeding for recessive genes, and so we were pulling from the um, the Mendo perp. Um, Part of the granddaddy and you know later actually phylos uh I, that might have been a purple diesel which is mendo perps times um diesel but I'll, I'll never know because i got it as grand diesel um but the uh phylos actually told i don't support them anymore um but anyways uh phylos pegged on the purple diesel as a lot of the breeders and so i'm thinking it might have been related to the old purple diesel cuts or it might have been renamed. It was very similar, but I got it as Grand Diesel, and then I crossed it with the Snow White, which is a Las Vegas Indica times the White Widow, and then I pulled the best out of 50. Only about 10 of them were purple, um, and then I, I did those selections at two different places, one on the hill in Mount Hamilton and one at a club in um, San Jose called La Vie, and then the Purple Caper and the, and the Fire Lady were pulled out of La Vie indoor, and then the rocket science phenotypes were pulled out of the outdoor. And then I bred those four back to the best male. And then I selected from there. And then the fire ladies all come purple. The caper is about, um, all of them have hints of purple. I need to grow. I need to get some of your purple caper seeds. It has a lot of the lineage genetics that are some of my favorites. Um, and I would love to get some of that in my garden. There's a few things that you said there that I want to touch on. First of all, Breeding indoors versus outdoors. I am a huge fan of breeders who do things outdoors. It seems like you have a lot more variation in genetic expression because they're able to adapt to their environment. Can you speak on this? 
it's uh, very true. But the problem with breeding outdoors is um, uh, those plants don't do well indoors. So you, you have to market them. I mean, they do, but not every phenotype, right? So you have to do a selection indoors to find an indoor phenotype. And so that's why we do our first selection indoors. And then, like, say, last year we did 400. And then the best came out, I think the best 25 or 30. And then we run those at the other farms, you know, the outdoors, the light dippers, the hydro guys. And um, then we ask them, okay, which one was your favorite? And then those come back and make the cut for the next year. And so it's, it's very important in all aspects, I think, especially this day and age. But I think in the future, it, it's they're probably going to ban lights and, and they, um, you know, it, it's just, it's just weird. Our government, right. There's parts of the countries that are not, that has a lot of light that are not even being used. And so I'm surprised they haven't, uh, denoted those as agricultural use. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, and the sun's always going to be here, but I, th- I think both are, both are very important for me. Our seed always goes through everything. So we'll grow in anybody's garden, but I do know that I lose part of the genotype because of it. And, and, uh, the last one, um, it was it was kind of sad. Like our best, uh, our best. Uh, gosh, which one was it? We just did two hundred fifty of the diesels and the OGs, and um, I forget which one. But one of them, so fire, it just it wouldn't live in vitro, and so now that's part of it. And so a lot of plants don't like to make roots in the light, which they would never have to in nature, but because of pathogens and everything being passed around um it's a necessity now in this day and age to to keep your tissue clean and so that clone in particular just didn't like to root and it rooted really slow um a lot of, and some of them were lost and so it, it just didn't make the cut so we're actually going back to the drawing board on a couple of the phenotypes um and testing the backups uh again to see which ones will make the cut but I think that's the, the headband. That's so interesting. It's so interesting that, um, you know, some of these cultivars, um, phenotypes, strains, whatever you want to call it, do um, well inside, you know, because it's like this babied environment. And yet, um, you know, some of them struggle outside. And that's really why, you know, I'm pushing sun-grown, regenerative, outdoor um, it's way better for the planet. You get more terpene expressions, but so many breeders nowadays are just breeding inside. And then you try and put one of these hype strains outside and they just crumble because they have lived in this little cushioned baby life inside that they were bred in. Um, so I really appreciate that you do a little bit, mix it, you know, both breeding inside and outside so that anyone and everyone can grow, um, you know, the best that they can. So, that actually brings me back to how we met and kind of mentored. I was actually making that transition from growing indoor. Um, you know, I was up in the mountains in Truckee. So outdoor growing season was like very, very short. It could snow in on the 4th of July there. So um, we had an indoor medical grow. Also, this was at the time, you know, where it was like kind of gray. You didn't want all your neighbors knowing what you're doing. Um, and transitioning from inside to outside was huge for me because of my background in ecology and gardening and just being in tune with nature. And I, at the time was partnered with somebody who was so hydro mentality that even when we were starting to grow outside, it was like, 
a feeding regimen, like um, nectar for the gods, you know, which is basically just like your indoor, you know, schedule, but outdoor organics in a medium potting mix. And I remember talking to you on the phone for hours and like talking about how I wanted to grow in the ground. And you were like, yes, you need to do it. Just throw the plants in the ground. They got everything. And you gave me a list of amendments. And that was really pretty much my journey uh, that set me on this path for discovery and knowledge of what all of these nutrients, amendments, minerals do, how the plant uses them, how they cycle through in nature, how we can capture them from our soil. Um, So I really want to thank you because I am now touring the country doing these living soil classes and teaching growers how to harness the power of their native soil. There's so many nuances that a plant can get from its terroir, which is the environment that it grows in, that it's natural to that, you know, specific habitat or microclimate. Um, so thank you. I really just, here, I'm going to give you a, a clapping, you know, we we got to yeah, give you a yeah. clap. I love that. Frank, the janitor. <laughs> thank you. Thank well, you. Thank true you. Honor. Um, thank you. So another question, something that I am curious about is your focus on breeding with an emphasis on fathers. We don't hear a lot about that with other breeders. Can you kind of talk about that? I will, but let me just um, go back and thank you first for what you said you know it's it's nice to see I, I over the years you know I, I've done this since I was 16 I got arrested for going indoors and I'm 46 now so I can I can prove 30 years and I've trained so many people on so many farms There's, I mean some of the busy years I was working with 20 groups and working with their their garden people some four lights and some 40 lights at the, at the time right and um None of them take it seriously or half of them did. And you really, really took it and ran with it. And it's really, really fulfilling to me, you know, because that's what I do, do it for. And, and it sucks when you give knowledge to people and they don't appreciate it. And then I've even watched some of yourself and, and, and learned. So then it's nice to finally see that transition where the, the student becomes the master and you are. And so thank you for for saying those things. And and, and the same is for you. You're, you're amazing. And I, I saw the sparkle in your eye when I met you and I heard it in your voice when I spoke with you. And that's why I I gave you the knowledge because I knew you would do good with it. Oh, wow. Thank you. You're going to make me get a You should get a clap too. (laughs) Okay, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well deserved. Well deserved. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm just so happy that we connected and that you are my debut guest for my very own podcast and that we can share the knowledge of the plant together. Um, So let's just jump back in and teach these people what they want to know because breeding with fathers in mind is definitely an outlier, in my opinion, of a focus on either marketing or education. So many people are teaching um, breeding classes these days and claiming to be breeders. And they're just, you know, they have F1s. We'll get into all of that, but like, you know, it, to me, you are a true breeder. You're focusing on everything. So I'm sorry, but their, their F1s are not even stable F1s because they're, they're poly hybrid, right? A true F1 comes from two land races. And so I've, I've proven 
with with breeding. And just to set the record straight, for production, I only recommend outdoor. I, I don't think we should be producing flour and medicine indoor at all. For, but for breeding purposes, it's very important. But for production, there's really really no use for it with these places on the earth. Anyway, so go back to the male. Um, is a lot is a lot lost in the genotype, and and what happens is with the with the cannabis genotype, the female is dominant, and so you're gonna her her, and so it go it's it's hard to explain in a fast thing, but there's there's dominance, there's recessive, and then there's aggressiveness. So even if the even if they both have a dominant gene, and say for color, say we're going you're bringing a a purple plant with the green plant, even if they both have a dominant gene, seventy five percent of the time. Um, the female is going to take over because her genes are more aggressive. And so that's why people usually the, the female, they do take after the mother in cannabis, but, but then um, you are apt to grab recessive genes that you don't want. And so the, the main, the main dominant recessive that are, they're actually dominant genes because what we want, what we, what we want are recessive genes in, in nature. There is no type bud and there is no, no, um, uh, you know, low leaf ratios and all of that. Right. And so we're, we want these recessive genes to be expressed. So we want these recesses on both sides, the father and the mother. And when you, when you look at the DNA spiral, you know, everybody knows the symbol for the DNA, right? The, um, the helix, it goes down in a spiral. There's two sides of the DNA and each chromosome we're diploids and our plant that we grow is a diploid also. Right. Um, and so that means we get one chromosome from our mother and one chromosome from our father. And so the, the main things I see coming back with the bad breeding is you, you get loose, fluffy nugs, low yield. Quality is easy, right? Quality is a dominant trait in cannabis. So you always get good good flowers out, but you lose the density and you lose your yield are, are mainly the number one and two things you'll lose with, lose with bad breeding. And then for somebody to spend, you know, six months on this seed, they save 10 bucks, you know, it really is not worth it for the end. And so then it, it hurts a lot of growers. And I, I saw that happen to a lot of people here in California too. You know, they, um, you and I consulted with them and then they end up buying some cheap seed going out of business, right? They make, they, they save, you know, one or $2,000 on the seed and then they, they lose 50 to a hundred grand on the back end. Um, so it, it sucks for everybody when people don't take that into account and they, they do the breeding and some traits are more, more dominant on the paternal side. So the, the purple anthocyan gene passes more aggressively on the, on the fate, on the father's side. And so does the, um, the smell, especially amongst certain strains. A lot of the chocolate hashberries still come out with a, with a heavy Moroccan, um, back end. I usually, we select the ones that are more, you know, more Girardelli, but, um, there's a lot of Moroccan in the genotype. Wow, that is a lot of good information um, that I don't think the average breeder or person is sharing or knows about. So thank you. That I had no idea that, um, you know, just all of those details about what comes out from the father and how important that is when making selections and breeding. Um, so can you get a little bit more in detail about what the F1, F2, F3, F4 even means? So those are filial generations. And um, 
so that's what the F stands for is philil. And, um, and that means I think, I think it's Greek for Latin or for family or something like that. I'm not sure. But, um, so technically you can only have them with two land races. So we, we I loved Phylos at first, right? Before Phylos gate, um, we, we've gotten a big, we've actually served them, but when, when they were running, their data is still good and it's still one of the best things that, uh, one of the greatest inventions of all time. It just sucks that they were, they had bad intentions because it is one of the, you know, to me, it's like one of the eight great wonders of the world. I mean, Phylos was a genius idea and amazing stuff. So anyways, they proved with my breeding because I'm doing my back crossing to the same clone. I was, I was more homogenous than even the land races. So I have number one and number two purest uh, DNA in their database with the cookie father and the cookie mother and the fire lady. And so I didn't put any more in there, but it, it was nice to show that my back crossing is working. And so what that means is that, so number, just to give you the, the third most purest is Bodhi with his Uzbekistan land race. So according to Phylos, I have strains purer than what you can find on earth. So I know that. So anytime like I put out the cookie lady, right, that's across those two strains, it comes out super homogenous because it's a true F1 from two strains that I've proven that are stronger than land races. And, and what happens is all the weak genes break off. And um, because those are recessives. And so now you have two super parents with only dominant um, desired traits. So then you don't get any non-desired traits passed because they, they don't have them. And as a recessives, uh, you know, so what happens if you have two recessives that match each other on a, um, on a polyhybrid is it becomes a dominant and it's called double negative, like double recessive. And you don't have that, um, with the true F1s. And so you, you just have all good seed, all super stable seed. And that's how real breeders do it. Like if, if you look at these tomato breeders and all this, they take two land races and they know this one works on the paternal side. This one works on a fraternal side and they cross them. And you always get one that came from this or that, you know, um, on, on the parents. And so I, I kind of just copied that as nobody else was doing it. And I think it's been my, um, my keepsake, even though I'm not as flashy as a lot of the other brands and, and I don't do all the marketing, um, I think the beans work. And so people will always be loyal oh, yeah. and they'll always come back. Definitely. And so with like vegetable growers um, and seed production, it's usually you're buying like a hybrid seed because it has the most vigor and um, like you're saying, the best traits from both the mother and father. You know, one thing that I've thought is strange um, and maybe you can speak to this is why aren't cannabis seeds marketed, um, for gardening zones for outdoor production? I mean, I guess it's because it's been illegal. And so you can't, um, you know, advertise like that. There isn't studies, but I would like to see that going forward with legalization where outdoors with seeds show what hardiness zone they do well in and how, you know, like just like a vegetable or, a ornamental plant yeah I, I think it's important i think it will evolve that direction right um that's that's probably going to be uh standard practice but I, it probably 10 to 20 years out you know you're visionary <laughs> um the yeah they they i mean to to put it on the package honestly or in the descriptions honestly be a guess 
you know, I do have people in most of the zones here in California, but it's, it's, it's not a fair representation because, um, you know, uh, some of Humble and some of Santa Cruz are at like zone six or seven. And, and then some of, um, you know, up in uh, Clear Lake, it's, it's zone 10 and or nine, you know. And so, um, but the, the thing is that the, the coast is so humid, humid, it's not really a fair six, a fair assessment. And I, I think to do it honestly, you would really have to find these places with like an average humidity across the state and, and figure it out. But also, um, yeah, a lot of that is changing, you know. They revamped the hardiness zone two years ago. So it used, it used to be by the, gosh, I don't want to say it wrong. It, anyways, but it used to be either by the hot and now it goes by the cold and or vice versa. But I know they, they actually did make it better. They, they made it, it's more accurate now. I think it used to go by the cold and now it goes by the hot is what it is. Um, but yeah, the USDA changed that or whoever does that a few years back. Well, that would be cool. Something, I don't know, maybe we could work on is getting people to sign up from every zone, gardening zone, and do a citizen science project, which is done all over science in the world right now. I mean, you can participate in citizen science on like observation of different species in nature. So doing like some kind of um, citizen science seed project in different hardiness zones and getting seeds out to people to grow outdoor in the ground in all of these different zones and like rating, you know, maybe do like a few strains or something. Would that would be really that. cool. I, I could support that with something like the cookie lady, but we, we, we need to get their ambient humidity and temperatures for the year because it's, it's going to become more than that. Now the hardiness zones are, um, are going to also have to change. It's going to go by the humidity now. Um, I don't know unless we, you know, otherwise we're just going to lose that part of the genotype too, right? Because the the best OGs all get powder mildew, right? So we know that we don't we don't grow those in Santa Cruz or in Humboldt or Mendo on the coast, and we grow those inland, right, or in the valley if we're going doing them outdoors. Some of the OGs are so weak that you can't even grow them outdoors, right? Um, yeah, it would be everyone would have to like take some kind of questionnaire, fill out their zone, their uh, relative humidity, their highs, their lows, and fill out and like apply to become a citizen science. And then maybe you'd like we could send them seeds and then like a required documentation process throughout the year. And then you could really like advertise and get more data collected for house a specific yeah, would, strain or strains. I would does love that. That's a great regions. idea. And we, and we get longitude, latitude, and elevation. And, um, because it, you know, it, it, if, uh, it, it's hard when people are in the clouds. Right. But I do have one garden that is, you know, and so I, I know over there, we just grow chocolate hashberry, you know, and so, um, or in the fog belt in Santa Cruz too. Right. A lot of people don't realize it's a temperate rainforest in, in Santa Cruz, even though it's not, uh, documented as one. Um, it is, it's one of the, it's, it's one of the only rainforests in America, um, and it's sad that it's not more protected and, and spoke about. Anyways, I sorry about always going off on tangents. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Me too, man. <laughs> um, so we you talked about F one. So what then makes it the F two, F three, F four? It's just back crossing. Two ways you can you can either back cross. So the back cross is where I take the mother. So you you can see the they documented the caper um, 
when I made the caper up to the five generations on Ed Rosenthal's blog. So if you go to Ed's blog and you type in the purple caper, it, it shows how I started. And so on the first one, I did back cross to the F, F1. Um, that, that was a, a polyhybrid, so I, I had to stabilize it. And that and that's why I wanted to prove it with Philo. So I did do the stabilization work after I started with those with those four different strains. And um, so the first one, I did back cross it to the caper. Everyone is different, right? Because it's the plant that tells you. And, and it's, a, it's you understanding the plant. And I've made mistakes and I've made bad batches of beans I've had to throw out. And so um, I've got some even funny stories about that, you know. But anyways, um, what were we talking about? F2, F2, sorry F2, about that. F3, so we go, F4. so with the, with the caper, sorry, I was smoking on the skunk this morning. The, um, <laughs> the, with the caper, I did go back. So I took the best male and I crossed it with the best four females. And then I washed them. The rocket scientists didn't end up being good breeders. And those ones I was very happy with. Those are like the best outdoor plants. Um, but they didn't make as good seed as the fire lady and the caper. So I didn't, I didn't work with them as much. So I, I took on, then I followed the caper and the fire lady lines. The fire lady father actually worked better on the second round F2 than the F2 caper. And then I went back to the caper with the F2. Um, so I went back to the female with the best of 50 male. And um, I actually did the same thing with the fire lady, uh, so, you know, in parallel in a different garden and um then when i grew out those seeds they had it it was weird so you'll see this sometimes where they'll be very fraternal dominant or paternal dominant batches and so i've seen it you know two or three times it's rare though but there was not a lot of good females and but there was a lot of strong males and so i used the female but i didn't use the um the or I didn't use a female, but I did use the male. And then when I found a better one than the original F1, I think the F3, I went back to that one. Something like that. It's all it's all written down. But So you really have to choose it. And, and sometimes you think, even though like the rocket science was a better plant, it didn't breed as well. And so you never know until you test the seed also. So you, you have to weed that stuff out on the, the next generations. What, what happens on the F2 generations is a lot of the um, double recessives, you know, come out because now you have, they have the same recessive gene, which never happens with the true F1, but now they have the same recessive gene. Um, so you have to weed through those. And that's what happened with that round. It just had, a, a, they didn't have good, good females. You know, I had one with the, with the Blackberry fire actually, where it was the opposite. I had, I, and I'd done this with the same father, and the same mother with like 10 different females from the fire lady father. And all of them, I got 50, 50, um, male, female ratio. And with the blackberry, it's always the same on the female side. But when I crossed those two, I got nine females out of 10 seeds. And so, um, there's all kinds of different stuff that can come out. And what, what sucks is I, I only used that father one time. So I couldn't even reproduce that batch of blackberry fire. Now it's made with the, with the F4 fire lady. Okay. So basically with the different Fs, your back, so you, let's say your F1 is two land races. They breed, they have a babies. That's the F1. Then you're taking the F1 and breeding it 
back to create the F2? No, I I created, I crossed F1 with itself. F1 okay. to F1. Okay, F1 to and F1. Then, then that becomes an F2. And then the F2 is crossed with itself again or with its mom or dad? It could go either way. So you, okay. you it's best to try it both ways and see which way worked better. And, the, and I usually go back at least the first couple times. But then if you grow out the seed and you see that, hey, this wasn't it, then you took the wrong path and you have to choose either a different male or a different female. And um, so that can, that can be uh, tricky also. The males are harder to pick because they and don't express like a female. So then um, most of your seeds are what generation? I okay. try to give everybody F1 because okay. that's the best for the farmer. F1 is always going to yield the highest. So when I'm up in these um, high numbers, I'm, I'm losing yield now. And so, but I know that the, the, it's a homozygosity, right? So you, you want homozygosity. So I'm going for homozygosity, but when you, when you go for homozygosity, you lose the F1 hybrid vigor. And so first thing you lose is your yields. So now you just have to, you have to evaluate. But are you seeing too. when you do, um, cause you're starting to see more recessive genes coming out when you're inbreeding basically. And, um, are you seeing more unique cannabinoid profiles, like some of those like THCV and CBDV and that, you know, those kinds of things? You see all kinds of stuff come out, but, um, you know, you could start breeding project going into a bunch of different ways. And, and I try to just stick what's true with the strain, but I, I do see a lot of stuff. Like, I mean, I've seen, I've seen the Jack smell come out of, you know, 20 different lines. And so, you can you can re, re, some some smells are more common in the in in the genotypes like you'll get burnt rubber across a lot of different genotypes and hints of, of berries across a lot of different genotypes and so um, yeah you'll see all of that but again those are recessive traits if there's only one or two so it will take at least four generations to lock that down you you figure at F1, at most, you're 25% homozygosis, homozygous. And so that means that your children, maybe 12 out of 100 will come out the same, right? Depending on the female, um, up to 25% of them will come out the same. And so out of 100 though, right? And so the more you breed, the more like they'll come out with the parents, the, the more likely they'll come out with like the parents expressing the same genes because on the DNA chain, we have one a recessive gene behind every dominant gene that we show. And so if this is the gene that we're showing, all it needs is to have a recessive from the, the partner um, to make that dominant now and to catch those double recessive uh, genes. Interesting. And so when you're um, like, let's talk like comparing this to like an heirloom, seed where you would be, you know, an heirloom seed, I think is like, you have to have a minimum of 35 years with basically you just be crossing it to itself for 35 years. Every season, you just cross it back to itself and collect the seeds from that, cross it back to itself, collect the seeds from that. Have you um, done that? Is there heirloom cannabis seeds like that? I don't believe so. So my under, I, I don't know the typical understanding of heirloom, but I, I think it's exactly what you said as well as they want an open pollination. So they don't want you to, because then, then if you're just doing one or two plants, then now you're, it's your selection too, right? So you're losing some of the, of the heirloom genotype. And so what, what they, my understanding, because I, I don't know, 
uh, is that for the heirloom, they want open pollination of, yes, all the same of, of over 35 years. Um, I don't believe there's anybody doing that in, in cannabis. For me, we're very specific. Every pollination is very intentional. Um, Ed just did a really cool one, you know, where he did, I think that was one of his first releases. He did um, six males and seven females with the uh, super bud that I had made, the crosses I had made. Um, so that, that should come out on Ed's side. Okay. Awesome. That's cool. Let's, let me hear more about what you're doing. I mean, so you work with Ed Rosenthal. Um, how, what's that relationship like? He's a OG as well in the industry. Well, Ed's amazing. You know, it was an honor when I got to start working for Ed. I've written four articles for his blog and I've been featured in three or four of the books. Um, and it's such an honor cause he's my teacher. You know, there was nobody to do this, um, before, and then I was just doing it, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I'm half Mexican. So my, my mother taught me to plant with corn and tomatoes when I was five, I had a garden. So I always had a garden. Um, and then I just did what she showed me. Right. And I only, the only fertilizer I ever knew was fishing motion. And then I got Ed's book and, uh, and I realized why well, my buds were small, you know, cause I'm just feeding them with nitrogen. And so, um, I got Ed's book and I, and I saw it in high times, you know, and so I got Ed's book and when I would build gardens, I would always have his book under my uh, arm when I go into these gardens. And, and when I'm saying this, these were a lot of these were like one light and four light gardens, you know, this is in the, um, you know, in the early, early 2000s and um, in the late 90s. And so uh, I would go in and I would you know, everybody always would have the tinfoil out and I'm like, no, 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 check this out. And I have to show them in the book, white paint reflects more light, you know, like, Whoa, wow. <laughs> and so I'd pull up a paint, we'd paint the area. And so, um, it was a true honor, you know, uh, to meet him a after learning from him through his, his work in the book. And I would go and buy the high times. I didn't even really care about the rest of the magazine. I go straight to the Ask Ed article. And um, just because I was just interested in the in the gardening aspect more than anything, um, and so yeah, it's uh, it was it was amazing. We did the one drop with the um, superbud hybrids. I crossed them with I think three or four of my fathers, uh, um, and we did famine, and it it went really well. Everybody uh, loved it. It was actually the biggest OG in the garden this year. That that clone is very special. So I I got that clone from it about six or seven years ago and I've had it in my tissue culture lab since so I'm the holder of it and um I, when I got it, it was 10 years old wow um well that's very impressive that's an honor to be able to work with him let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors look no further than the holistic horticulture class series available on www.queenofthesungrown.com at Queen of the Sungrown, we believe that the best way to grow cannabis is by working with, not against the environment. That's why we've curated a series of classes that teach techniques such as companion planting, natural pest control, and soil health management. By utilizing these sustainable methods, you can achieve healthier, more potent plants while also doing your part to care for the planet. By harnessing the power of the sun and working with the earth, you can grow cannabis that is not only high quality, but also good for the environment. 
Our classes are packed with over two hours worth of resources designed to guide you in successfully growing cannabis in a way that mimics nature. From recipes and articles to how-to videos, we have everything you need to make your cannabis garden a thriving, sustainable success. But we don't just teach you how to grow cannabis. We also emphasize the importance of holistic practices. Our classes cover everything from soil health to plant nutrition, giving you a well-rounded education in all aspects of cannabis cultivation. Our engaging instructors are experts in the field of holistic horticulture and are passionate about sharing their knowledge with students of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned grower or just starting out, our classes are designed to help you achieve your goals. So don't wait. Enroll in the Holistic Horticulture class series today and be part of the sustainable growing movement. Find out more and sign up today at www.queenofthesungrown.com. Happy growing! You know, my train of thought actually just went and jumped my ADHD brain when you're talking about tissue culture and holding a strain. And I just have to ask, completely changed topic, um, the key lime pie. I was just on a show um, maybe a month or two ago, and it was like a panel with, I don't know, six or seven dudes. And they were just, I'm not going to say whose show or anything. I'm not dissing, but they were arguing about key lime pie. And they were like talking about its genetics and not a single one of them brought up that it was a cookie and they had said it was all these different crosses and it was by so-and-so and so-and-so and and it was nothing that I knew of. And aren't you, you hold that strain, like the key lime pie is, can you talk about that? Because there's a lot of misinformation about that. Key lime pie. So Mitch made that from from Burning Bush. And Mitch is a genius. And he's a really good dude. He's a firefighter in Santa Cruz. In 2013 or something, he came in and he started a, a nursery. Um, he's a competitor to me and Darkheart. And in the same clubs, um, he was only around for about two or three years. But he was a genius. He did really good breeding. He created the Suzy Q. A lot of people don't know. He That was a 50 to 1. That was the first 50 to 1. And he, he dropped that in like 2014. Right. I mean, he was way ahead of his time. He just couldn't make the cut. He Mitch tried to get um, he tried to get funding in 2015 to expand and he didn't get the funding and he had to stop. So he walked into Harborside and Jeremy was so he was the he was the buyer at the time. He's like, wow, this is this is fire. You know, he said, but it it's not cookie enough. He's like, well, this is my cut of cookie. So that's what I respected about Mitch. He would make his own cut of everything. He's like, okay, this is my cut of cookies. This is my fire OG. Fire OG wasn't any good. And a couple of the other ones were decent. But um, he had his, like, his own Romulan and stuff like that. Um, and it was just okay. But the key lime pie was so fire. And so for um, so I, I, I've been holding the clone. He went out of business in 2015. So every, every key lime pie cross I make is with that clone. And everything here goes into into tissue ponics or tissue culture every you know november and then everything is fresh right now all the all the mothers are fresh and so that was a cookie and jeremy named it and so jeremy uh you know it's let's think of another name he's like it's too limey and so they came up with the key lime pie and you know the rest is is history there and he ran with it um, a funny story about it is at the time that the uh, key lime pie was released, nobody had heard of it, so nobody wanted to buy it. So it would sit on the shelf, and um, it wasn't as visually impressive as some of the other strains. 
but it, it smokes way, way better. And, and it's so, yeah, it's so fire. The, uh, the clubs, and so it was one of my staples. It was one of the ones, one of the ones, one of the first ones that would, that would nail out pound and a half a plant, you know, back in 2014. And then I started working with the rocket science and the cookie lady. Those ones, you know, started hitting over two pounds for us and the blue cookies. But, um, so it was, it was a very important plant. And here's the funniest part for five years, I ran that thing production until I think 2016 or 17 when we stopped production that was the club signature they used to call it um uh what did they call it Martian candy and so for years mm. the Martian candy was just our key lime pie in San- here in San Jose okay. yeah interesting well thank you for sharing that little piece of cannabis history because um I don't think enough people know it and it is such a great strain. And I think that it is much more well-known nowadays than like, you know, when he went out of business. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've seen different crosses of it win the Emerald cup or place in different cups. Um, so if you get an opportunity, anyone listening to try it, the key lime pie is pretty awesome. What else do you have going on before we wrap things up? What can you share? What kind of, you know, research or projects or where can how you know what else do you want to share got a lot a lot going on i I would like to talk a little bit about mylar and so you know i've getting bashed for it and i don't like the the seeds but i this is my reasoning i do think that all cannabis products should be either in uh cardboard glass with the steel or aluminum caps because because we're making so many small containers or hemp plastic something that's biodegradable right these new hemp plastic is so strong and um it's still biodegrade, right? And I've seen it in the dumps. I've seen it out here. It really, really works. And so anyways, I've been farming for a long time. And then in the early 2000, around 2002, I was introduced to a company called Park Seeds. And they had a tomato contest going on. And so I, I was going to enter the contest, but I never did. And then but I, I bought a bunch of seeds from them. They had a bunch of rare strains. You know, these are seeds like uh, tomatoes and such like that. I was growing in herbs from them. And the packaging came, it was in this gold mylar. And I'm like, whoa. So I looked up on the Parks uh, Seed Company and I found out the reasoning. They put it in the mylar and it was because they have the NASA contract. And so I looked into this and I talked to them about it. I called them and I, I, was, so, uh, I, I was so interested in this. And so I called them and, I, and they're a really cool company. And so I talked to them. And like I said, this is like in 2002 or something, 20 years ago. And they... Um, they told me about that and they had the NASA contract, this and that. And they said that their seeds would last 10 years in almost most environments, even if you just had them in room temperature because they were sealed so well. And so I said, oh, man, that's when I so when I started. So I officially stopped all production in 08 uh, and moved to seed. Right. Um, and well, we had a clone nursery, too, in San Jose until 2012. But anyways, and so I, I want all my packaging to last at least 10 years for my you know, people that support us. And so that's why, even though I don't like the Mylar, I just try to make the bag as small as possible, but I want this to last. And, and you know, it, it was just, sometimes I'm questioning myself and then you get these signs, you know? And so I was questioning it, questioning it. Should I do a cardboard? Should I do a fancy box with a glass jar and a, and a, a wax dip, you know? And I'm thinking that can probably last as long, but cardboard might get all messed up. Um, and somebody emailed me, I'm, you, you can't even make this up, right? You can't, you can't even script this. Two days ago, she emails me a picture of the Afghan Thai cookies. And she's like, hey, I got these from you in San Bernardino. 
in 2015 and I wanted some advice and I'm like, oh, well, you know, I packaged them this way and she had not opened them. And she's like, yeah, I kept them in the refrigerator. I said, you should probably get 100% germination, you know? And so for seed storage, I think it's so important to use the best materials and keep them in the refrigerator. I think the refrigerator even works better than the freezer. In my experience, I've pulled seeds out of the freezer and if you even drop them when they're frozen, you can kill them. Wow. And so... Yeah, so people have them in their freezer door, right? And they're slamming the door, and then and then some, and you lose part of the genotype. Sometimes I see them in the freezer. I know it's the way to store longest, but I've frozen for a year and it kills half of them. And so, like, what, okay, so these other ones, yeah, I could have stored indefinitely a hundred years, but what part of the genotype did I lose? Right, I I lost part of the genotype that that could have been important or could not have been important. Right, I think in a world where we're getting hotter, it might be an important part of the genotype, right? Because we're we're coming out of an ice mm-hmm. age. That is so true. That is a very interesting perspective, and I hadn't thought of that. I store my seeds in the refrigerator, um, only keep the acid in the freezer. So that is a good tip and advice for people um, who, you know, people collect seeds like candy, man. There, You can sometimes see people's seed collection, and there's like thousands and thousands of dollars worth of seed. And it is an expensive investment. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, where can people get your seeds besides when you give them to me for giveaways? <laughs> <laughs> Which we're going to do more of. So, but here in the state at the clubs and then, you know, the clones are uh, available through certain nurseries. Online, it would be in the U.S., Dank Seed, Seed Hub, and North Atlantic Seed. And in Europe or Canada, it is their attitude. I have about 20 out there and they're all really good, to be honest, the European ones. The best thing to do is just to um, watch my drops and then you will see on there, you know, where, where they actually have. Okay, so they can just go to your website and Instagram, which is your Instagram is my Instagram has it. Yeah, my I don't have it on the website yet. I'm, I'm revamping the website. Okay, but they um, the website only shows the retail places here in California. And your Instagram is Caper Purple People, not it, Purple it is. They, yeah, you know it, it. It it's really upsetting that they took down my first Instagram. And and you know the thing, I lost a lot of my documentation, and, and that was upsetting. But the one that hurt the most was, um, you know, I had some very special messages in my inbox. You know, and so that that really really bothered me. It's really unfair that they're they're doing that. I, I had one from a, um, from a little girl. You know, she has a disease, and um, one day she painted some rocks, and she sent me the picture. Her dad sent me the picture of the rocks, and he said this was because of your your uh, chocolate CBD. You know, and I would go back and look at that picture, and I was sad, and it, it, I wish I would have screenshot. You know, but those those are some of the good things in this industry that we get. You know, we get those kind of messages, and we do we are able to bring bring peace to some people. Well, everyone listening, write Purple Caper a really nice message on Instagram so that he can have the his inbox with some good me- new memories of how he has impacted your life. And I will say you have impacted my life for the positive. And I'm just so grateful that I met you and that we're able to have this conversation and just, you know, come together over this sacred plant. So thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I really appreciate you. It's a true honor, Alex. And, uh, and I can't wait to see your show take off and 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 bloom. You are amazing and, and you're going to do amazing things in this space. And we're, we're very fortunate to have you and, and the earth is too, because you're every time anybody plants the earth organically, right? We're healing that part of the earth. But thank yeah. you. Thank Amen. you for your work. Amen. Thank you. Choosing all